I'm excited to be sharing with you guys tonight. Um, can I just say that I consider it a privilege to have been given this opportunity? I mean, I don't take this lightly. I don't take leading worship lightly either. Um, it's a privilege from the Lord to be able to do something like that, to lead you guys in worship every Sunday and Wednesday. Um, definitely don't take that lightly. But uh, I'm teaching here tonight. But the, the book of James, I've read it. It says that teachers will be judged more strictly, right? So not everyone should desire to be teachers. So have grace on me. <laughs> um, again, I'm excited to be here. The Lord has really laid a word on my heart that I want to share with you guys tonight. Um, I'm excited to get it off my chest because I've been convicted all week by it already. Um, so if anything resonates with you tonight, just know that I'm right there with you. Um, since Pastor Barry's in the Philippines right now, I thought it'd be necessary if we would just uh, spend some time praying for him right now. Would you guys do that with me? Bow our heads in prayer. We're going to pray for Pastor Barry. Lord, we lift up our pastor to you right now, Lord. We're thankful to hear that uh, lives are being saved right now in the Philippines, God. We just pray for an increase in that, Lord. We pray that your spirit would pour out among the the Philippine people. And we just pray that Pastor Barry would just uh, uh, minister to them, that you would use Pastor Barry, Lord, for your glory to speak to them, Lord. We ask that you keep him safe. We ask for traveling mercies, Lord, over his heart and life, Lord. We're so thankful for him, and uh, we're thankful for you here tonight, Lord. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. All right. Is it just me, or or does anybody else notice that we live kind of like in a distracted kind of society? We live in a distracted age. Um, If you go out to a restaurant, you might notice, like, the families around you. What are they all doing? Everyone's on their phones. Um... You know, it's just so hard to be where we are. You know, it's hard to be present. It's hard to show up for our lives where we are, especially with things like Instagram, Facebook, uh, Netflix, Disneyland, and politics. (laughs) We all have a huge distraction sitting in our pockets right now, right? Has, uh, has, have any of you guys noticed that the iPhone is starting to send a report now of the usage? Like, it, it tells me how much time I'm spending on this thing, you know? I hate it. Because whenever I see those things, or whenever I see those reports, the Lord's like, you see that? I'm like, oh yeah, I see that. He's like, no, you, you see that? How much of that time should have been spent with me? I can't say amen on that one, so I'll say ouch. You know, it's hard to be in the moment or be where we are when everything around us is screaming for our attention. Give me attention, everything. Everywhere you turn, billboards, TV. The more I think about this, the more I'm realizing that it's a sign of the times because the enemy wants us distracted for a good reason, right? As Pastor Barry always says, Jesus is coming soon. But also, the more that things fight for our attention, the more we need to be able to abide in the Lord, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves in this generation so we don't get thrown off course by the schemes of the enemy. Amen? So tonight, we're going to be in... I I love this this, uh, portion of Scripture. It's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. But but before we dive in, um, I want to get us up to speed contextually. We need to place this... Uh, in its proper context for us to really understand this tonight. So in John chapter 13, 
we see that Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, identifies that there will be a betrayer among the disciples. We all know who that is. Establishes the new commandment, um, which we will trace back to later on in our message. Um, He predicts and confronts Peter about his denial. And then in John chapter 14, we see how Jesus proclaims that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except by him. He reveals the communion that he has with his Father, also in John chapter 14, and promises the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the peace of the Holy Spirit, and the helper that is the Holy Spirit. And then when we get to tonight's text in John chapter 15, Jesus makes the final I am statement. Uh, let's do a quick scan through the other ones. Might as well uh, touch up on those too. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep. Also in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, the last I am statement, I am the true vine. We're going to be camping out here tonight. Uh, So tonight's message, uh, the title of tonight's message actually is Abide, Continuing to be Present in Him. Let's pray tonight. Oh Lord, we come before you tonight. We uphold your word in this place, oh Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and illumine our minds, enlighten our understandings, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts in this place tonight, God. Help us see what you want us to see, Lord. But not just be mere hearers of the word in this place, Lord. May we be doers of the word. May it sink deep tonight, Lord. Plant seeds, bring harvests, bring that which you want to do in this place tonight, God. We love you, we honor you, and we just give this night to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. John chapter 15. uh, We're going to read from verses 1 through 12. Jesus speaking here. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you.
All right. So verse one, we see Jesus saying, making this declaration, this last I am statement. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, I'm sure most of us in here know that Israel is often um, depicted as a vine in the Old Testament. Um, however, usually when we see Israel referred to as a vine in the Old Testament, it's not always done in a, in a positive way. Um, for instance, in Psalm 80, uh, verses 8 through 13, the psalmist writes, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and it co- and caused it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges? So that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit. The boar out of the woods uproots it and the wild beast of the field devours it. So to paraphrase, the psalmist makes note how Israel, the vine, was transplanted out of Egypt. It says, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. For what? To do what it was purposed to do. To become a blessing to its surrounding nations. Sound familiar? What was the covenant that God made with with Abraham in Genesis? It says in Genesis 26.4 that through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But... Remember what it says right after that. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. This is why God decrees that his covenant people would walk blameless before him. In other words, God tells his covenant people, be holy for I am holy. Because if his people aren't walking in holiness, then they disqualify themselves. No longer become fruitful and therefore no longer become useful to the Lord. And subject themselves to becoming, like it says in Psalm 80, devoured by the beasts of the field. Holiness matters to God. Amen. In Isaiah 5, we see Isaiah recite a vineyard song, which directly describes the unfaithful state of Judah. It says in verses 1 and 2, my well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a winepress in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Listen also to what God says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Speaking of Judah, he also says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? It's kind of a theme here, huh? The word here for wild can actually be translated as foreign. And in this context, actually, we can interpret that as pagan. In other words, God is saying to Israel, every good thing you have came from my hands. It came from the vine dresser. Vine dresser also means husband. It also means farmer, tiller. You have my word. You have my spirit. You have my commandments. You have my law. Yet instead of standing in your identity as the covenant people, of the Most High God, you've settled for less than God's best and become like the pagans. There's a common saying that says, it's easier to get Israel out of Egypt than it is to get Egypt out of Israel. Here's how the church can interpret this. Here's how I think it it can apply to us today. It's a lot easier for someone to trust Jesus to change their eternal destiny 
than it is to trust him to change their internal reality. I'm going to repeat that. It's a lot easier for someone to trust Jesus to change their eternal destiny than it is to trust him to change their internal reality. Everybody wants a free ticket to heaven, but no one wants to pay the price to actually look like the one who inhabits it. He wants to set us apart from the world so that he can use us to help save it, right? But he has to get us out of the way first. Our old desires, our old habits, our old selves, amen? Ultimately, Jesus is the true vine that through him and him alone, the gift of salvation would be brought into the world and extend not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. John 15, verse 2. Let's pick up back there. Jesus says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Earlier I quoted um, Isaiah 5, 1 and 2. But if we keep reading in verses 5 through 7, um, we'll discover more. It says, I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but beheld a cry for help. We're hearing this tonight. God was looking for fruit among his people, but found no fruit. He looked for justice, but instead found oppression. He looked for righteousness, but rather beheld a cry for help. God's people were obviously not bearing fruit. So what happened? Judgment came came upon the house of Israel. Isaiah even says that they shall not be pruned. That God will not bring rain. You see, pruning is the very necessary process where dead, diseased, and damaged plants, or uh, branches, I'm sorry, are trimmed from a plant. They're taken away. If you've ever seen a gardener do this, it looks like they're destroying the plant, but they're actually helping it. The plant is literally being decreased so it can bring increase. It is removing the old to make room for the new. In fact, in order to make wine, grapes have to go through the the process of pruning. Isn't this the story of Israel, though? They get to a place of fruitfulness and prosperity. They become rebellious and turn from God to their idols— God raises up prophets to point them back to himself. They persecute the prophets. Then judgment comes upon Israel, and then they cry out to the Lord in repentance. They are redeemed, they are restored, and so on repeat. You see, I don't think the the story of the church is, is too much different. History has shown that the church doesn't do well in times of prosperity. You know when the church really thrives? When it's being persecuted. You know when the church is really bearing fruit? It's when it's being persecuted. History has shown that when the church is persecuted, the church flourishes. Sounds like pruning to me. 
Because persecution causes the church to see its true need for God. And when the church sees its true need for God, all of its empty religion and idolatry becomes exposed. So the church inevitably seeks to repent. When the church gets right with God, it expands, it flourishes, it bears fruit, revival and awakening breakout. Thank God for pruning. Thank the Lord for pruning. Are we bearing fruit as a church? Let's examine ourselves. Are we bearing fruit? When God searches us out, does he see the fruit of the Holy Spirit as described in Galatians 5? Galatians 5.22 says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think about this. Just because we're bearing God's image doesn't mean that we're wearing God's image. I'll repeat that one. Just because we're bearing God's image doesn't mean that we're wearing God's image. We need to put off the old man and put on the new. Amen? Ephesians four seventeen to 24 says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not learned Christ, Paul says. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We were created for true righteousness and holiness. No coincidence that right after this portion of scripture, it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. I can't help but ask, but are are we grieving the Holy Spirit at all? Do we have a form of godliness yet deny its power? Are we putting to death the deeds of the flesh? This is important. This is important. Let's continue in our text tonight. Uh, Verses 3 and 4. You are already clean, Jesus says, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The Greek word here for clean actually comes from the same root, um, the same root word for or the same Greek word, sorry, for prune. So what Jesus is essentially essentially saying here to his disciples is that they have been pruned by the words that Jesus has spoken to them, cleaned. So then Jesus says to abide in me and I in you. Interesting thing about this, um, when I was studying this, um, when we look at most of the passage, particularly uh, John 15, 1 through 10, We see the word abide come up ten times. The word abide, ten times. Now, biblically, ten is often referred to what? As the number of completeness, perfection. So does the the numbers three, seven, and twelve. Another thing that the number ten signifies, 
biblically at least, is responsibility. So think about it. Ten Commandments, are we responsible for those? I mean, we're not antinomians. We don't believe that the law is obsolete anymore, right? How about the the tithe, 10%? Aren't we responsible for that? Responsible to give to God, right? So Jesus is telling us here that we have been given the responsibility to abide in him. The Greek word here for abide means to remain or listen closely, continue to be present. So to abide in Jesus basically means to continue to be present in him. Um, With this in mind, I believe that the fruit of our lives reflects the quality of our abiding, right? Our fruit must reflect the one who maintains the garden of the vine. If we are bearing fruit, it's because we've been abiding in Christ. Simple, right? If we aren't bearing fruit, it's because we haven't been abiding in Christ. Because Jesus says that a branch cannot bear fruit apart from me. How do we bear fruit? We continue to be present with the Lord. That's that's what abide means. How do we be present with the Lord? We seek him wholeheartedly. In the secret place, in our bedroom, somewhere quiet, we seek the Lord in intimacy. We actually take time to worship him alone, not just corporately. We open up the word of God and feast upon it. Not as a means to bolster our knowledge, our intellect, our theology. We seek God in his word to get his word into the very fabric of our beings. Right? We become transformed by it, not just informed by it. We get the word of God into us to get the ways of the world out of us. Did you know that we can know and quote this book like the back of our hand, yet still not abide in Christ? Look at the Pharisees. They had this thing memorized, yet when the one it all pointed to actually shows up on the scene, they missed it. We abide by taking the sword of the Spirit. And we do it like like the samurai did. We die. We die to ourselves. We die to our ambitions. We die to our need to be comfortable. We die to our needs to be right. We die to the way we think our life should be going. We die to our former selves. We put on the new man. We die so that Christ might live in us. The more we become like Christ, the more useful we we will become for him. Maybe you're asking, well, I don't have time to do that. You don't know my schedule. I'm super busy. I think it's safe to say Jesus was a lot busier than we were. Yet what did he do? Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Often. He needed to. He would have been burnt out. Jesus continued to be present with his Father. He abided. He abided. This is our responsibility. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. Let's pick back up uh, verses 5 through 6. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. What a sobering verse. Pretty straightforward, too, if you ask me. Um, If we're abiding in Christ, we're going to bear fruit. If we're not abiding in Christ, we can't do anything for him. We've got to get this. We've got to get this. We become like Jesus to the extent that we continue to be present in him. Right? How are we going to be like Jesus if we aren't spending time with him? How are we going to reflect him if we aren't sitting with him? When we abide in the true vine, the nutrients of the Holy Spirit flows through the vine into the branches which inevitably brings forth a harvest of the fruit that the world around us is supposed to see and say, hey, why why are you so different? What is that? I want that. How can you be so hopeful and joyful in such a broken world? Where, Where does that come from? And that's when we're supposed to say, well, let me introduce you to the vine who came into the world, born of a virgin, tempted and tried as we were, yet lived a sinless and perfect life, who would eventually suffer the penalty of sin for our, for our sake, on behalf of a cross, buried in Joseph's tomb. The grave couldn't hold him there, so he rose again on the third day, ascends to the right hand of the throne of God, and is coming back, riding on the clouds of heaven. He is the reason I have joy and hope, and his name is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Do we abide in Christ? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you know, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. We must examine the fruit of our lives that we may not be disqualified because apart from him we can't do anything. We can't do nothing. That's what he says. Jesus tells us that the branches who don't bear fruit are cast out. In light of that, I want to read a portion of Ezekiel 15, uh, verses 1 through 8. This is what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? The vine branch, which is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make any object or can man or can men make a peg from it to hang on to hang any vessel on instead it is thrown into the fire for fuel the fire devours both ends of it and its middle is burned is it useful for any work indeed when it was whole no object could be made from it how much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it is burned Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will set my face against them. They will go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. Thus, I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord. What a sobering portion of scripture. Thank God that even when his people are faithless, he remains faithful. And that God is not done with Israel. Amen? But as for us, the church, do we abide in Christ? Do we continue to be present in him? 
Let's pick back up verses 7 through 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Is Jesus telling us here that if we abide in him, he'll give us whatever we want? No. I'm sure this verse has been interpreted that way many times. But that's not what it's saying here. Jesus is saying that if we abide in him and his words abide in us, yeah, we can ask of God what we desire and it shall be done. But how could God trust our desires if we don't abide in him? How could God trust our desires if his words don't abide in us? Famous Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what delighting ourselves in the Lord looks like? Abiding. Continuing to be present in him. If we abide in the Lord, he won't give us what our heart desires. He'll give us desires, right? He'll give us new desires. Desires that line up with the perfect will and plan of God for our lives. And if God can trust us with our desires and therefore give us those desires when we ask, the Father receives glory, we bear fruit, and we prove ourselves as disciples of Christ. We don't bring our agenda before God and ask him to bless it. I'm guilty of that, right? There's only one agenda, and it is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God can trust our desires when our desires become his desires. How how does this happen? We abide. Verses 9 through 12. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Beautiful portion of scripture. Uh, There's a lot to unpack here. Um, The first thing we could point out here is that Jesus abides in the love of the Father, right? He says, as the Father loved me, I also loved you. So we all know the perfect loving communion that the triune Godhead has, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. In perfect love, in perfect unity, in perfect communion, love requires relationship. They're all in relationship. This is where a Unitarian argument falls flat. Unitarians believe that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not God. But God is love. And love implies relationship, right? And without relationship, there is no love. It's selfishness. Jesus knows the love of the Father because he continues to be present in him. He abides in his love. The beautiful thing is that we are invited into this very love. We're invited into this. Jesus says, abide in my love. 1 John 4, it says, he who does not love does not know God. God is love. If we truly know God, 
our character should be a reflection of his character. And if we aren't reflecting the love of God, if we aren't reflecting that character, it means that we're not abiding in him. And if we're not abiding in him, Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. We all want to be obedient sons and daughters of Christ, right? That is our heart's desire. But if we're going to do what God says, we should expect to be what God says too. This is hearers of the word versus doers of the word. In other words, we all know the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? Well, in order to do that, we need to abide in him. And if we abide in him, we will start looking like him. We'll start reflecting that character. Our heart begins to change. We start seeing things differently. We even start seeing people through the eyes of God. That person we used to hate, oh, Jesus loves that person. That boss who made us mad, oh, the Lord loves him. The Lord loves her. In John chapter 13, Jesus gives the new commandment. To love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Hey, that, that's different. What is that? How, how, how are you so joyful all the time? How, why are you so loving? Why are you so giving? It's because of him. It's because of the one I spend time with. It's because of the, the God of the universe has made me this way. Amen? True obedience always leads us to love. Because without love, Paul says, what are we? In verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. Did you catch that? Jesus says that my joy may remain in you. Remain. In other words, if the joy of Christ abides in us, it's because of our continuing to be present in him. My joy remain in you. We need our joy to be full, amen? Because a joyless Christian is a powerless Christian. If we, if we could gain anything from this text... If we have no joy and if we have no love, then how is anyone going to see Christ through us? Right? So where does joy come from? In Hebrews 12, 2, it says that it was for the joy set before him, set before Jesus. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before Jesus was the heavenly reality of sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. But guess who's there also? Ephesians 2.6 tells us that in it, or sorry, that Jesus has made us sit together in the heavenly places with him. But hold on. Psalm 16.11 also tells us in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
So where does joy come from? It comes through our abiding in him, our continuing to be present in him. Because we are seated in the heavenly places of Christ. We have access to his presence. And in his presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This is good news. Thank you, Jesus. We need the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, right? We all know that. You know, you can tell a lot about someone just by looking at their countenance, right? You can also tell a lot about someone by the words that are coming out of their mouth, right? Another way of saying this is you can tell a good tree by its fruit. Jesus says in Luke 6, 43 to 45, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Can I ask you something tonight? Who do we let sit on the throne of our hearts? Is it bitterness? Resentment? Unforgiveness? Self-righteousness? Or is it love made manifest by our abiding in the one who is love? You know you have a heart of stone when you're looking for any reason to cast one. I've been there. A heart of stone is always looking to cast them. But praise be to God that the stone of the tomb was rolled away so that through his spirit our hearts of stone could be rolled away too. Thank you, Jesus. And that through our abiding in him, we can put on the new man and let love and joy reign in our hearts. This is good news tonight, church. Thank you, Jesus. You see, when we understand the gospel, our joy should be unshakable. True joy is unshakable, right? Because joy isn't rooted in what's happening around us. Joy is rooted in the fact that we are no longer our own and we are citizens of a kingdom unshakable. Right? We need to understand this. We need to get that when any trial or tribulation comes our way, worry, fear, any setback, anything that comes our way, the power of the cross of Christ has already declared over it. It is finished. True joy is rooted in our understanding of what Christ has done for us. This is why the enemy is constantly looking to steal our joy. Because if he can steal our joy, then he can hinder our ability to be effective for, for Christ, for the sake of the kingdom. The Bible says that it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. But I think there's some big foxes that are spoiling the vineyard too, right? At least in this generation. Worry, fear, anxiety. Depression. These are tools of the enemy to steal our joy. Because when we're fearful and anxious, we're not abiding. It takes our gaze off of the Lord. 
And if we're not abiding in Christ, don't expect his joy to abide either. Don't expect his joy to remain. Because without him, we can do nothing. We are most joyful when we are most like Christ. And the more we are like Christ, the more we are free from ourselves. And when we are free from ourselves, our capacity for joy increases. Joy enables us to freely live and freely love. Thank you, Jesus. So this year is still pretty fresh. Is it too late for resolutions? What can we do this year to give the Lord more of our time? How can we abide in him more this year? What in our lives has to leave? What in our lives do we have to turn from to enable our abiding in Christ this year? 2020. I want to end with this thought tonight. The fruit that Adam ate in the garden led to death. The fruit that the second Adam offers is life and life more abundantly. We all know the scripture that the wages of sin is death. But we must also realize that the wages of love love is death as well. But we need to die for the right reason. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. The wages of sin is death, but the wages of love is death as well. We need to die for the right reasons. To know Christ is to love Christ. To love Christ is to abide in him. And when we abide in him, we die so that his love and joy might flow through us. Amen. Abide in Christ this 2020. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight, God. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's timely, it's always on time, Lord. You speak to us through it, God. We thank you so much for your word. And God, would you just uh, take these words tonight? Help us reflect on them, Lord. And Lord, if if we've been doing great, thank you, Lord. But Lord, if we haven't been doing so great, may we not beat up on ourselves so much, Lord. But may we look to you, look to your grace, look to your love, look to the, the fruit of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And be encouraged to know that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you so much. And we just want to do your will in this place. We want to honor you. We want to give you the glory that you alone deserve, Lord. We praise you. We bless your name. And we give it all to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.